Jesus is gone. Yes, he rose from the dead on Easter, appeared before his disciples, hung around for a while, shared a few final words of wisdom. But no sooner than he appeared, he's gone again. But one of them, John, recalls something that Jesus said before he was crucified. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, he told them. But the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. And on the day of Pentecost, that promise is fulfilled. A wind roars and a mysterious storm of fire descends upon them. Pentecost is the birthday of this thing we call the church. It marks the end of Jesus' ministry and the beginning of his disciples' ministry, our ministry. And just as we celebrate our birthday with cake and candles, on Pentecost, God lights a fire upon each of us. But it doesn't consume us as the flame slowly consumes the candle. It inspires us to spread that fire, that warmth, that light, everywhere we go. And let's face it, in a world as dark as this one, we could all use a little light. Our scripture today is from Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at the sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young shall see visions, and your old shall dream dreams. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. 
Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. There is nothing that we wouldn't do to protect our kids. For two years, I dodged the coronavirus. I wore a mask. I got two vaccines and a booster. and My family did the same. I took drastic, drastic, albeit reasonable, measures to protect the congregation, bringing in-person activities to a standstill and bending over backwards with the rest of our staff and volunteers to try to keep everyone together across the distance. But when my son Levi brought the virus home from school, his mother and I abandoned all caution to care for him. He's six years old and scared. We weren't about to isolate him or wear masks around him or do anything that would make him feel like a leper. The exposure was absolute. Levi would cough all over us, the toxic aerosols visible in the sunlight creeping through the windows. As I lay next to him at night, he'd prop himself up on one elbow and talk excitedly about something or other, and I could feel the drops of his virus-laden spittle landing on my skin. <laughs> he drank from a juice box and then squirted the remains in my face, laughing. He got a bloody nose, and like any dad, I found myself licking my finger to wipe up the blood off his hand and then licking it again <laughs> without a second thought. If this had been a total stranger at the grocery store, such things would have been unthinkable. Naturally, the virus raged through my house like wildfire. Levi gave it to his brother, his brother gave it to me, and I gave it to my wife. But what else could we really do? I mean, this is my kid we're talking about here, and there's nothing we wouldn't do for our kids. In his somewhat controversial book, Against Fairness, Local philosopher and Columbia College professor Stephen Asma names this visceral need to protect our children, this tribal preference that we all seem to have for our own blood. He relates the story of being part of a panel discussion at an academic conference where he tries to make this very point. If it would save my son's life, he told the other professors and scholars assembled there, I would strangle every single one of you with my bare hands. I kind of feel sorry for the people there that day. <laughs> they didn't really sign up for this. We might be tempted to call the professor a monster or at the least a terrible public speaker. But I wonder if any parent presented with such a choice would choose differently. We would all go to unimaginable lengths to protect our kids. But what about other people's kids? How far would we go to protect them? Not far enough, apparently. And no, I'm not just talking about the latest school shooting in Ovalde, Texas, that claimed the lives of 19 young children, among other people, though that is very much at the forefront of my mind these days. I can't even bring myself to look at their faces 
in the newspaper, much less hear their stories, because these evoke a truly soul-shuddering sorrow and mind-numbing anger. But this is only one piece of a larger, more sinister puzzle. You know, you could almost mistake them for individual events, unrelated headlines across America that don't adhere to any common pattern or purpose. A mass shooting there, a hate crime or two here. A video of a hostile school board meeting goes viral. Another regressive law is quietly passed in a distant state. Sometimes I feel like a world-weary, badly-shaven detective pinning newspaper cuttings and photographs to the wall, linking them together with bits of red string. A man who cannot rest until he solves the crime, though I'm not sure these crimes can even be solved. I lie awake at night thinking about them, these seemingly disparate events that nonetheless seem tied together somehow. The gun violence, the racism, the transphobia and homophobia. Is there a relationship? Let's consider the evidence. A lonely teenager in Buffalo, New York, Peyton Gendron, gets bored during the initial COVID lockdowns. He's been radicalized by right-wing message boards and talking heads for two years, and he starts to believe that people who aren't white are part of a conspiracy to take over the country. So he buys a gun, even though he isn't old enough to buy a cigarette, and he shoots up a neighborhood grocery store in a black community killing 10 people. Emboldened by this horror, another kid named Ramos Salvador shoots up an elementary school in Texas with an assault rifle that he also purchased legally, even though he isn't old enough to buy a beer. A prominent senator picks up a bogus rumor that he saw online about Salvador being transgender and shares it with his 160,000 followers on Twitter who eat it up for breakfast. In his tweet, he erroneously refers to Ramos, the shooter, as, quote, a transsexual leftist illegal alien. The next day, a young trans girl in El Paso named Tracy is assaulted by four men. Yeah, you know it was one of your sisters who killed those kids, one of them reportedly said. You're a mental health freak. Of course, while this particular incident was tied to Uvalde, it's a well-documented fact that trans people suffer disproportionately from such acts of violence. Meanwhile, bills are passed that further marginalized homosexual and trans kids. In Florida, home of the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill, teachers are forbidden from even mentioning the existence of same-sex relationships. A governor has gone to war with Disneyland, of all places. You know, our music director, Michelle Hecht, just got back from Disneyland, and she confirmed that it is, in fact, the happiest place on Earth. Who's going to mess with the happiest place on Earth for being too woke, of all things? In Ohio, a picture book about a unicorn is banned from school libraries because it teaches kids to accept others who are different. And back in Texas, laws are introduced that criminalize gender-affirming care for minors or even discussing it with their family doctor. 
More open-minded parents are threatened with charges of child abuse. I'm just waiting for someone to knock on the door, says Amber Briggle, the mother of a 14-year-old trans son in North Texas who is being investigated by DCFS in response to the governor's directive. And yet, and yet, as 19 school children are being put in the ground this week, I don't see anyone passing stricter gun laws or doing much of anything useful at all. I'm not a politician, no thanks. I'm a pastor, but Jesus had a few things to say about the law too. He had a lot to say about the law actually when it hurt more people than it helped. And when someone asked him what the greatest article of the law was, he replied to love God with all of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. I don't see that happening in our country. In fact, I see a lot of energy being spent protecting children from learning about love and nothing at all being done to prevent them from getting shot. I'm not a detective either. I can't put all of these pieces together no more than those grieving families can put their lives back together. But I can tell you what connects them and it's not a piece of red string. Friends, it is a spiritual sickness. That's the common thread. And like a pandemic that's gone untreated, it's spreading like wildfire. Now, I generally try to avoid posting anything controversial on social media. I'm not looking for trouble. But on the Nextdoor app, trouble seems to have a way of looking for you. Someone had posted a message about looking for a new church home, figuring this might be a good opportunity for some evangelism, I proudly shared a note about our church. First Congregational Church of Glen Ellen is a thoughtful, theologically progressive, and LGBTQ plus affirming congregation with a ruggedly handsome pastor. <laughs> no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you're welcome here. Within minutes, as if waiting for someone to pounce on, some curmudgeon replied, no thanks, I'll take a church that's on fire for God over a lukewarm, feel-good, gummy bear church. And be fighting words. I thought that was rather uncalled for, sir, but I just joked, well, I'll have to put lukewarm, feel-good, gummy bear preacher on my business card. I figured that was the end of it but he doubled down. Maybe you can get some business cards from your colleagues who cowardly closed their churches down during the so-called pandemic. I don't need this kind of negativity in my life. <laughs> but you know, that very rude man and I agree on one thing. I want to be part of a church that's on fire for God, too. And I'm glad that I am. But fire can mean a lot of things. Fire cooks our food, keeps us warm, and chases away shadows. It flickers in holy vigils and lights up the darkest nights. The fire also ravages forests, consumes homes, and reduces lives to ash. It blazes on the burning cross of the lynch mob and streams from the barrel of the machine gun. Fire torments sinners in hell. 
if you believe in that sort of thing. I'm guessing the guy next door just might, even if he doesn't believe in COVID. Fire can give us life, and it can bring us death. And on Pentecost, we celebrate the life-giving fire of the Holy Spirit. We stand in its light, and we celebrate love in all of its forms. And it takes many, just as a flame dances in countless motions and shapes. And that's a beautiful thing. Here at First Congregational Church, we are an open and affirming community that embraces genuine love between people, no matter what their respective genders might be or how fluid their identity is. The story of Pentecost illustrates this beautifully. Here we have all these different people, strangers from strange lands, Parthians and Medes, Egyptians and Romans, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, rich and poor, people from all walks of life. Strangers who can suddenly understand one another for the first time. The walls between them shatter. It's a rich tapestry of diversity and a touching illustration of God's love that blankets us all. Love is not a muzzle flash nor a burning cross. Love is the fire that does not consume. It burns in the bush before Moses and in the pits of Babylon where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went unscathed. It roars in the pillar of flame that accompanied the Israelites in the wilderness and echoes in the words of the prophet Isaiah when he said, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Given that our sanctuary burned down in 1987, I hesitate to say that this is a good place to start a fire. But it's a good place to start a fire that does not consume a fire that can spread wild and free until its light can be seen everywhere. Yeah, I'm on fire for God. But I ain't no gummy bear preacher. (laughs) I was listening to the radio last week when I heard a commercial for a private Christian academy. Are you worried about what your children might be learning in school? Are you afraid they'll learn to hate themselves because they're white? Are you concerned about schools that teach sexual perversions to children? Well, fear not. You don't have to send your children to a godless public school. Well, that's good to know. But being something of a parent myself, I'm more worried about my kids getting COVID or getting shot. One thing I don't have to worry about is them being disowned by their church if they turn out to be gay or told that they're going to hell if they identify as a different gender. I don't have to worry about that because I know that this church will take care of them. This church is a safe place for my kids, for your kids, for all of them, for all of us. You know, the first time I ever set foot in this sanctuary, The person who was giving me the tour pointed out the stained glass window back there in the narthex, the one with Jesus hanging out with all the little Dutch kids in their adorable wooden shoes. This church cares about kids, she said proudly. We care about families. 
And today, the banners and the flags that regale our building tell the same story. We care about love in every shape and color that it takes. There is nothing we wouldn't do to protect our children. I only wish the world was as safe, as loving, and affirming as this church. Friends, that's what makes this a good place to start changing it. Amen.